You're listening to the Talking Rheumatology Research Podcast, brought to you by the British Society for Rheumatology. My name is Dr. Eileen Tan, and I am the Editor-in-Chief of Rheumatology Advances in Practice. I am also a rheumatologist based in Leeds in the UK. Today, we're going to discuss an interesting paper highlighting a potential feature of rheumatoid arthritis that we may have to pay more attention to. So I am delighted to be joined by Dr. James Gwynard, the lead author of the paper, Reduced Cognitive Ability in People with Rheumatoid Arthritis Compared with Age-Match Healthy Controls. This paper was recently published in Rheumatology Advances in Practice. Dr. Gwynard, please would you introduce yourself Yep. Hi, my name's James Gwynett. I'm an MRC Skills Development Fellow at the University of Manchester, and I work at the Centre for Epidemiology versus Arthritis. Thanks a lot for inviting me to talk today about our paper. Thank you. Please, would you share the background to the idea for your study? Of course, yep. So there's quite a lot of data showing that cognitive impairment is associated with lupus. But there's, there's far less data on cognitive ability in rheumatoid arthritis. So there have been some studies showing that rheumatoid arthritis is associated with increased risk of future dementia, but the evidence is a bit conflicting. And there's also some studies looking at cognitive abilities specifically. But, you know, these studies are few and far between. And so really, we need more data on, one, the feasibility of performing cognitive assessments in people with rheumatoid arthritis. And then also, is there any cognitive impairment in people with this condition? So yeah, that's why we wanted to do the study. That's clearly very important for patients. So how did you go about doing the study then? Yeah, we used a great resource called the Norfolk Arthritis Register. This is an inception cohort of people with inflammatory arthritis from Norfolk. So we looked in that database for people who met the inclusion criteria, which were aged older than 54 years, meeting the 2010 ACR ULAR criteria for rheumatoid arthritis, having at least one year of symptom duration and not having any known cognitive impairments or neurological or neurodegenerative diseases. So we found people who met those inclusion criteria and performed cognitive assessments with those people. We also had a control group, and this group came from the Dementia Research Care and Clinic Study called TRAC is the acronym. So this is primarily a study of people with Alzheimer's disease or mild cognitive impairment, but there's also a control arm of people who don't have one of these conditions. This control arm included people who were aged 50 to 75 and who didn't have dementia or another mental health disorder. And they performed the same assessments as the people from from NOAA, so the people with rheumatoid arthritis. So we had a range of cognitive assessments, trying to assess a, a range of cognitive domains. So attention, memory, verbal fluency, language, visuospatial skills, executive function, theory of mind, and facial emotional recognition. So the people with rheumatoid arthritis completed the assessments. The controls also completed the same assessments, and then we compared the scores across the two groups. Okay. What did you find from your study then? Yeah, so we had, in total, we had 38 people with rheumatoid arthritis and 28 controls. The people with rheumatoid arthritis reported that they found the assessments acceptable, feasible, and importantly, we found impairments on memory, verbal fluency, language, visual spatial processing, executive function, and emotional recognition. So we found quite a broad range of impairments on a range of different cognitive domains. And this was independent of age, of BMI, of education level, because we controlled for those factors in our analysis. That's really interesting. So what do you think 
other reasons behind the difference that you've observed in your study? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think we don't currently know exactly why people with uh, rheumatoid arthritis might have cognitive impairment. There are a number of hypotheses, however. So as I'm sure many listeners are aware, rheumatoid arthritis is associated with increased risk of cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular disease in itself is a risk factor for cognitive impairment. So it could be that sort of train of causal steps. Rheumatoid arthritis leading to increased cardiovascular disease, which is leading to cognitive impairment, potentially. There's also some really interesting work looking at autoantibodies, so antibodies against myelin sheath. A quite a small scale study, but a really interesting report found that people with rheumatoid arthritis with high levels of these antibodies had reduced cognitive ability. And there's also confounding factors or potential other factors that could be influencing increasing people's cognitive impairment. For example, levels of pain, levels of depression, and also potentially the medications people are receiving might be influencing people's cognitive ability. So really, there's there's a lot of hypotheses, but we don't really have any answers yet. So that's kind of where we'd like to go. That sounds like huge potential for a lot more research into this area. Do you think, amongst other reasons, would inflammation be a reason explaining the difference that you've seen in your study? Yeah, certainly. So either maybe directly or indirectly. So inflammation leading to pain or cerebral inflammation is also something that's been studied. There's also some work looking at circulating TNF, and it's been shown that people with rheumatoid arthritis have a more permeable blood-brain barrier, so there could be some increased transference across this barrier of the various factors. But again, I think all of these, all of this research is, is very much in its early phases. We haven't had very many confirmatory studies, I would say. So yeah, I'm sure inflammation is, is critical because that's such a big component of rheumatoid arthritis, of course. Indeed. Um, Yeah, we don't really know exactly how it's leading to cognitive impairment yet, which I think is important. Yeah, sure. I guess watch this space. So do you have plans then following this research as to what you would do next? Or what do you think would be the next approach towards getting some answers to these questions? Yeah. So this was uh, very much a pilot study to show that we could do these assessments in people with rheumatoid arthritis and that there was some signal. And I think that was successful. People found the uh, assessments acceptable, feasible, and we did show that difference. So now the next step is really we want to expand the size of the studies. So, you know, group more people, hundreds of people rather than tens of people, collect more other factors, including cognitive assessments, blood samples, but also, you know, patient reported outcome measures like people's depression, anxiety medications people are taking. And most of the research on cognitive ability in RA has been from cross-sectional studies. So just measuring one time point, did people have impairment, yes or no? So really, we really don't have much understanding of how cognitive ability develops around the you know, onset of rheumatoid arthritis, whether people develop rheumatoid arthritis or you know, are diagnosed with it and then instantly have cognitive impairment, or whether it's a more gradual process over time declining levels as we get older, as the you know, disease develops. We, we don't know that because there's no longitudinal data. So I think that's something that I'd really like to push forward is collecting longitudinal cognitive assessments in people with rheumatoid arthritis. So that's where I see myself. <laughs> that's where I'd like to go in the future. That, that makes absolute sense and clearly a very important area to get some answers for patients. Have you shared the findings of this study with your patients with rheumatoid arthritis? And, and what did they think about it? Yeah, so we have some patient partners who work on the project. Uh, they, they were very um, supportive of the project when we were developing it. 
they really see the importance of understanding this field better because of the impacts that cognitive impairment can have on everyday life. So yeah, no, they're a really supportive project moving forward, helped us a lot develop the, um, you know, the assessment schedule and piloted it. And yeah, I've been a really supportive of the publication. So yeah, that's been really nice to see. But you know, we, we do want to get the word out further. So we'd like to do more public engagement type of events to spread the, uh, the word in the future. Brilliant. Uh, do you think patients will be very worried about the findings of this study? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, it could be quite scary, the findings. I guess the important thing to remember is this is on average. We really don't know yet on an individual level who's going to have cognitive impairment and who isn't. So yeah, it's still quite early days. But these kind of research studies are important because first it's acknowledging that there's a problem. And then second is working out what we can do about it. And the first thing we need to do is measure the phenomenon and then we can start to try and build interventions. So whilst, yeah, maybe it's a bit scary, this is the first step towards hopefully working out what we can do about it. I hope it's also encouraging that we're trying to research this area. Yeah. And as you said, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, you mentioned in your limitation that this is a small number of patients and you need further studies to confirm the findings of this study. Are there any other difficulties that you faced when you were doing this study or any other limitations? Yeah. So I guess as well, another important thing to remember is that the people who took part in the study volunteered to take part. I mean, we invited a range of people and then people volunteered. And for all we know, these people could be already somewhat worried about their cognitive ability and that's what prompted them to take part. So maybe there's some selection bias. We don't know, but that's just a a suggestion. You know, this could be a, a bigger effect than you'd see if you recruited a bigger sample, a more representative sample. So I guess that's something to keep in mind as well. Yeah. And so you mentioned in the study that screening of cognitive ability might be warranted. And I know we discussed that it's too early to say that this is definitively the way to go. But if you were to implement this in clinical practice, how do you see this being part of the clinic process? Yeah, (laughs) it's a tricky, uh, tricky question. I guess we'd have to do is process evaluation to work out the best way to fit in this and amongst everything else that goes on. One thing we're quite interested in doing is looking at if we can do cognitive assessments remotely, like virtually, then people can do the cognitive assessments at home, like before they come to the clinic, and then the the clinician can see the data. Instead of doing a one-hour, two-hour assessment at the clinic, which I guess would be feasible, people can do the assessments in their own homes, and then the data can be transferred to the clinician, uh, which would presumably save a lot of time. But we still need to test whether those types of remote collection are sort of sensitive enough, whether they're valid. So, you know, but I, I guess that's how I would see it happening. If it was going to happen, it would be sort of remote type screening. But yeah, still, <laughs> that's something um, in the future. I agree. That is a very good strategy. And we are trying to do as much assessments as possible remotely. It's time efficient. Patients like it. And so I think if this were to be implemented in clinical practice, then that's a feasible way of doing it. Thank you, Dr. Greenett, for this interesting discussion. I would definitely recommend the audience to read this paper in more detail, which you can find in Volume 5, Issue 2 of the Rheumatology Advances in Practice, which is published in open access format, which means that it is free and available to everyone. Thanks a lot for inviting me to talk. And I should also say thank you very much to the the co-authors on the project. It's very much a team science project. So thanks to everyone who collected the data, who set up the study and, and helped me with the analysis. Thanks to our patient partners. And of course, thanks a lot to all the participants in the study who, of course, 
without them, we couldn't have done the research. So yeah, just wanted to say thanks. Absolutely. Great team and patient involvement, really key to all research. So really glad that you've included everyone within this paper. So thank you very much for joining us. Until next episode, thank you and goodbye.